Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. I am your host, Rachel Bell, and my guest on today's episode is Olivia. My hope is, as always, that together we will have an honest and real conversation about mental health and wellness and your life experiences. Please know that this is a safe space to share, listen, learn, and evolve in our lives and break down the barriers in our minds together. I am not a health professional, but I am a good listener and someone with real lived experience in this area. If you do need someone professional to speak to, please see the show notes for more information. And please note this episode may contain content that could upset certain listeners. Please be aware we do discuss rape in this episode. Olivia is a girl of many hats. As like a lot of my guests and even myself, it is amazing the kind of people that you attract into your world when you put out your energy. It's one of the things that I've loved most about doing this podcast. Olivia shares with us her story about her relationships, um, the toxicity in them, about how she left those relationships and even about some issues that she's had with uh, the police in the past and also with an uncomfortable situation that she went through. These might all seem a little bit negative, but we also did talk a lot about the successes that she's having in her life and the amazing uh, companies that she's working with on the board of and helping to better the lives of women in trauma. So again, I just want to say thank you to all of you who listen. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I uh, I did this podcast hoping that I'd get at least one or two listeners, but I never imagined that I'd have a small little following of 30 to 40. So I am very grateful. Enough of me. <laughs> On to today's episode and to Olivia. Hello, Olivia, and welcome to the Be Kind to Your Mind podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. More than welcome. Beautiful. Well, I'm very excited to have a chat to you because um, you are a girl that wears many hats, as I, I learned from having a little chat with you earlier. You've, um, I actually don't know how old you are, and that doesn't matter, but you've done a lot in your in in your career so far. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a lot of lovely juicy information from you. I guess what we really want to talk about the most is about the fact that you are a transformation coach um, and that's where you put a lot of your energy um, every day into helping uh, people through their transformation as you put it from surviving to thriving which I love that's a really good quote. Um, But yeah tell us a little bit about why you decided to do this. What what happened for you in your life that you decided to share and, and help others? Yeah, definitely. Um, So about three years ago, I found myself in an abusive relationship and my life was threatened. And so I also found out that he had physically abused the ex prior to me. Um, And that really ignited a fire within me um, just because I also got my bachelor's in international affairs and have always been really passionate about human rights, women rights, and just the idea of someone physically abusing another person. Um, and while that 
part of my life was very, very difficult um, in terms of healing. I wanted to, I had already known that when I'm strong enough, I want to help others heal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want them to suffer as much as I had um, because my ex had lied about his entire life. Um, and it was just very difficult to heal that part, the betrayal, the difficult emotions, the psychology around that. Who was I with? Um, and how did I fall into such a trap? The shame, the guilt, all of that. Um, and then from that, I also realized that it, it goes far more complex with that story, um, but I'll just keep it surface level. But I found out that there are far more good people in the world and bad people. And, um, and it just gave me hope, but I needed to really go dormant and introverted and heal myself first. Um, yeah. And then a year later, I, um, on a separate, not the same person, but I was raped. And that was really difficult because there's also misconceptions around rape and it's usually a stranger, it's usually violence. Um, all of this, and it was actually someone I knew, and I, that one was really difficult to get through as well, and so more healing, and I was just in such a dark place at that time that, again, I wanted to make sure that people, I wanted to help other people not be there if I can help it, Um, and I felt like I couldn't lean on anyone because at least with my abusive ex, that story is, I've been shamed for it in the past. You open up to someone who you think might be a friend and they just don't know how to handle it. So then shame seeps in and all of this. Um, So the only person I truly felt like I could lean on was my trauma therapist. Um, I felt like no one else, not family, not friends could truly understand. Um, And I've had, you know, after I was raped, I had um, someone really close to me say, something must be wrong with you. So go to your therapist and see what's wrong with you. And yeah, it's been a long road (laughs) in terms of healing. And that really ignited me wanting to be a transformational coach to really help people who've been through it um, really cope with their triggers, their anxiety, heal that, and then create the life that they want. So going back to three years ago when I left that relationship, and even though I was just starting to heal, I was also living in fear because he threatened to kill me. And so that was on top of the healing but eventually I exhausted from the fear. And so I vowed to myself that I would not let fear control me. I would not let him control my life anymore. I would reclaim my life. And so I decided to do a career switch and I went for my marketing manager job, which I was not happy with. I didn't feel like it fulfilled my soul um, and my spirit. And so I switched to veterinary medicine And I knew it was going to be a long road because I had to pretty much go back to community college 
my previous bachelor's in international affairs was not really going to cover all the prerequisites. So for three years, I went back to school, did all the science prereqs, and worked at a small animal hospital the last three years, um, and then got into UC Davis, which is the top vet school this year, um, okay. and really got myself <laughs> to thrive, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, it's I'm just hoping to do that for others. It's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that for starters, because I know how hard that is sometimes to open up and you would have a lot of experience because it's what you do now. But for a lot of people talking about your own story, it's hard because we personally, I would say I fear judgment when I tell people about my story. Um, your story is very similar to um, episode six. We talked about uh, BPD and um sort of gaslighting and all those sorts of um, attributes in, in partners, but from a mental abuse side of things. And I'm, I guess, I want to say I'm fortunate to say that I've never had an abusive, physical abusive relationship, but I have had quite a few mentally. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say the mental ones are harder to heal from. Um, I do believe mm-hmm. that with physical abuse, there's a big mental part of that as well and that part's the part probably that is hard to heal from as well the bruises will go away but you're still left with all that emotion and that the feeling behind it it's um it's very rare for anyone to come out and say oh you know like that was an easy thing to get over so of course people like yourself and even platforms like this podcast are really important so that people can if they can't if they don't have anyone in their lives and you were really what you said there about not having anyone to turn to um I believe most of us feel that way that's how I felt I didn't want to be judged and usually people would go well why don't you just leave like it's that easy um manipulative emotional relationships are a little bit different you tend to stay around way longer than what you should but yeah I think it's really wonderful that you're now able and probably I want to say very soon after as well because three years is not a great amount of time um healing's obviously been a really uh like you've obviously done a lot of thorough work with the people that you've worked with um and quickly in that time I would gather which makes you the perfect candidate to then pay that forward because you know what works and what doesn't for you. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's really easy to share that way. But so now you're, you've said that you um, are doing vet med now and you talked to me about the dog adoption program that you're getting involved in as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think that sounded super cool. Yeah. Um, so I actually, this week I, um, got my deferment for UC Davis. So I'm taking a year off because of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have the opportunity to go full on into my other passions like coaching and other advocacy work. And that includes this beautiful organization, this nonprofit called Survivor's Best Friend. And um, I'm about to join their board. And what the organization does is it matches sexual assault survivors with dogs and cats for them to adopt. And all of these are paid and that includes vet exams, um, the vaccines, all of it. Yeah, they can just have a true companion straight away. 
you know, mm-hmm. to focus their energy on. I think that's a beautiful thing for animals are so amazing for our mental health and well-being. Um, whether you suffer from a mental illness or not, I think a pet just brings, you know, something that no human can. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's even just a, an ear to listen to because you can talk to them and they don't talk back. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. How will you be getting involved in that program? So I'm going to be on their board. I'm going to help them fundraise money um, because again, all the costs and fees are paid to match these survivors with their dog or cat. Um, I will also be helping with marketing strategies and strategic partnerships and donor relations um, because I also have a background in marketing. Um, I'll be able to help them in that sense. See, there you go. Even if it was something that you didn't really enjoy when you did marketing, at least it's now led you to be able to support, you know, something that you are really passionate about. That's beautiful. Yeah. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about the work that you're doing in, you know, women's rights and healing from abuse. Sure. So right now I'm working with one girl in Egypt and we created a Facebook group where the women in the Arab world can have a safe place to really share their stories, their Me Too stories. Um, Talking to her, she had said that they're often silenced there and it's very hush-hush, whatever experience they've been through. Mm -hmm. And she had mentioned a few weeks ago when it actually launched, um, coincidentally, there was news of this one man who sexually assaulted hundreds of men and women it's just and one it's one perpetrator and a lot of people were coming out and um what i've been doing is i've been sending in videos for her to translate as a coach to provide support for people in the group wow um, yeah, yeah and um aside from that i am also about to jump on board with some Harvard Business School graduates who are creating um, a company and it's called xxtalk.co, X-X-T-A-L-K dot C-O. Mm-hmm. And that organization is going to give an opportunity for women to really learn more about body positivity and sex. Um, and the pilot is starting in August or September. Mm-hmm. And really, they're just going to have a few people who want to try out the pilot. They're going to be coaches and therapists, coaches including me, doing the sessions, learning about how does childhood uh, link to our sexual preferences now, mm-hmm. um, intimacy and relationships, and so on. I will be talking from the trauma side. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that going to yeah, be? So. Is that a TV show? Oh, uh, no, it's going to be a, a company. So oh. it's it's probably going to be over Zoom right now, okay. um, but like small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be about four participants per coach, but they're going to have a test run of the company before they fully launch. Right. Yeah, they, before really- they fully launch the program. Mm-hmm. So I guess in that, they'll be covering like transgender and non-binary um, as well. It seems like it's a very inclusive equality look at sexuality um mm-hmm. just for women only is it or um I actually I think it's specifically for women but I don't know if it's like women x mm-hmm. um I'll have to clarify with them because I really 
touch base with them last week. <laughs> um, I have about eight collaborations right now for this month. So I, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, I love your Instagram page and I will pop the, your handle in the show notes, but for everyone listening now, it's, uh, your handle is it's Olivia Lee. So I T S O L I V I A L E E. And I love your page. I'm actually looking at it now. And because the first thing I always do when I look at a new Instagram page is I just scroll kind of quickly without specifically stopping on anything because I love to just get that. I'm a real visual person and I love to get that, that first feel about who someone is. And I love the message that you come across in this. You're very, um, I can tell you're a very open person, um, and that you're, you would be very easy to talk to and that you don't shove advice and opinions in people's faces. So I think if anyone's looking for an Instagram page, maybe to just get, you know, a little bit of inspiration and listen to some great chats, they should head over, um, and have a look at yours, but you also do a little bit of music therapy, right? Yeah. So, uh, when I was in high school, I actually had a record deal with a black eyed keys manager mm-hmm. for singing. Um, I was a recording artist in pop and R and B. Um, and then, you know, I decided to go to college and pursue international affairs and change my direction, but singing has always been a passion. It's yeah. always been consistent for me because it's helped me through some of my darkest times. Um, and talking with Monique on that IG live, Um, she brought attention that it really, when you sing, it vibrates and hits the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. Um, And also when you sing, it lights up your whole brain, like, like nothing else, no other activity. And um, it can really uplift you from, you know, depression or anxiety, things like that. So yeah, singing has always been really special for me. While it's not my main thing anymore, um, I still do it. I've just been trying to shift my Instagram to focus more on coaching and have it more niche because yeah. if I have singing and then I have coaching and I also have passions for animals, it would be all over the place. Plus, you know, like you've got some amazing photos on your Instagram. You've clearly traveled a lot. And I think <laughs> Thank you. staring at some of those photos is coming <laughs> of the ocean. And oh, yeah, it's just, you've got like a photo of sharks. I mean, it's beautiful. Really, really. Yeah, I actually, um, that was shortly after the abusive relationship and leaving it. Like I, I decided to go and tick off something off my bucket list and that was to swim with sharks cageless. Oh, you swim? And so I, yeah. Um, and my, and my friend said it was very poetic because you were figuratively (laughs) swimming with sharks with my ex. And then you decide to do that. So, um, yeah. And then um, there's an elephant one too, where last October, yeah, last October I was um, in Thailand um, volunteering with um, vets there. So I was helping take care of like previously abused elephants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard of people doing this before, so they've moved to a rehab center thing for them. And yeah, you, sanctuary. You know, yeah, that's beautiful. I was a singer uh, from like a really young age as well, and I traveled around the world when I was younger singing and recorded with 
one of our TV studios, but, you know, I haven't really done anything since I was about 15, I guess. I recorded a couple of songs, but I always feel like when I'm, like depression and anxiety is the thing that really, um, that my barriers, I guess. But I think the thing I always find is when I'm driving, I love driving nowhere, just like driving because it's, you know, calming. And then just having your like ballad songs and just winding down the windows and cranking out a tune. I love it. Mm -hmm. And you get that whole buzz. You can feel right through your chest and, you know, up to like, each little brain stem cell like <laughs> lightening up mm-hmm. like yeah okay so we can sing but even if you're not a singer like you just get in the shower get in the car whatever it is and just mm-hmm. belt the tune out um whatever mood i'm in i'm usually you know snap out of it and it's really really cool i do recommend that a lot so i also wanted to talk to you about triggers um and ptsd you mentioned to me earlier that uh, with your clients, you talk to them about what actually gets them to a point of, um, you know, being triggered from something. And although I explained earlier that I haven't had physically abusive relationships, with mental abusive relationships, triggers are just like always there. <laughs> Whether it's a memory that just suddenly pops into your head or, uh, you know, now with social media giving you, you know, memories from a year ago. And this this goes for any relationships, abusive or not. Like when you break up with someone that you've loved and cared for and, you know, and something triggers you into it. And I never really thought about PTSD before as, I always thought of that as being like something that men who were in the war had, you know, like in my <laughs> growing up, like, oh yeah, that's just something that war veterans have. No, really relevant for, for for a lot of people. Dee, do you have some tips about, you know, what listeners can do to to help them get through those times? Yeah. So, like you were saying, I think there's a big misconception on PTSD, and it's usually associated with people who've been to war. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's true that they, you know, if you've gone to war, there's likeliness that you have. Um, experience PTSD, but PTSD can happen if you've experienced a miscarriage, um, lost a loved one, bullying, um, abusive relationship. There are so many different um, experiences that can create that. Mm -hmm. And um, there's also CPTSD, which is when you're being abused constantly, and it's typically from childhood. So that's another form of PTSD as well. So when it comes to coping with triggers, you don't have to have PTSD to have triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were saying, just breaking up with someone that you, that you loved mm-hmm. and being reminded that by, you know, they left a shirt or something like that, like that mm-hmm. could trigger, you know, sadness and those memories. Um, so I work with my clients a lot with mindfulness practices and focusing on coming back to the present. Um, our minds, two-thirds of our minds tend to be on a negative cycle. And then there's one-third that's positive, and it's about shifting that. Um, we tend to be on this negative cycle because we're on a survival mode. And it, it worked when we were probably hunters and gatherers, but it doesn't serve us anymore since we've come such a long way. Um, and 
if we're going more scientific, there's the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. And the sympathetic system is when you're in constant fight or flight. Your adrenaline is rushing, you're breathing heavy, you're sweating. Um, and a lot of people nowadays live life through, like that because you're always on the go, go, go. And when you're triggered, your sympathetic system is what comes up. Um, and it actually suppresses your immune system. The goal is to focus more and go towards your parasympathetic, which is more relaxed, calm, and that'll boost your immune system. And so these mindfulness practices are so essential to helping my clients who have anxiety or PTSD. Um, some clients don't even have to have a clinical, um, you know, anxiety or depression, they could just have had a breakup. Mm -hmm. These all help to heal. Because what I've learned is also boundaries. And mm -hmm. if it also comes back to childhood, if you had a parent who was not consistent, you will tend to find people who are unpredictable to be attractive partners mm -hmm. um and and if you're you had a parent or both parents that were consistently not respecting your boundaries mm -hmm. um, you'll grow up with giving too much um empathizing too much and making excuses for a partner which i found myself in that um and yeah so definitely that would be the exception with abusive relationships <laughs> Did yeah. you find in your experience with your negative relationships that you were um, codependent at all on that relationship or was that not really part of what was starting to go wrong there for you? I know I've, I've kind of completely switched subjects now and leaning back to it. I think it's really yeah, something okay. you said then just made me think about negative relationships and how we can um, notice when the negativity starts that we can't stop. Because it's really important, I think, that we can notice the difference between a regular relationship that may have some negative issues in it and a completely negative relationship that you need to leave. Was there any mm -hmm. signs for you leading up to you finishing the relationship or was it sort of immediate and you got out of there? So prior to that, I had a long-term relationship that was really healthy mm -hmm. and that was my first relationship so I'm really grateful for that one mm -hmm. that set the tone on how I should have a relationship um, but also when I ended that relationship I was having a lot of change happen in my life and my second ex was the one who was the abusive one he found me at a very vulnerable place in my life I think he swooped in for that um, and I wasn't with him very long. It was actually three months. Um, and the relationship, the healthy one, was about three and a half years. So it probably was a rebound. Mm. Um, and once I found out he cheated, which was actually the tip of the iceberg, but once I found out he cheated, that was my boundary. I was like, he doesn't respect me as a human, as a person. I am leaving. And so I went to his house to get retrieve my things I asked um, my roommate and 
a guy friend to come just in case I didn't come out in 15 or 20 minutes mm-hmm. um, to call the police. And he's a big guy. <laughs> and yeah, he's a big muscular guy. So I went in there and he was in there with another girl. Um, I went straight to get my stuff. And, um, and then I told his best friend and his best friend was like, I, he was just very confused with what was going on. And, um, and then shortly after when I was bringing my stuff out and one of his roommates was helping me, um, he called and threatened to kill me. And I won't go into the specifics, but he was graphic. He described it graphically on how he would torture me. Um, yeah. And I just, and he was really angry. Um, and his roommate was like, I want you to go because I don't want you to, I don't want him to come back when you're here. And so I I reported it to the police. And when I told the police the address, they asked me, were you the one who filed a domestic violence report a month ago? And that's when I was all confused. And I started connecting the dots after that. Mm. Um, so this is kind of going on a bit of a tangent. Mm. Now I'm kind of forgetting what <laughs> originally. No, you did. You kind of answered yeah. the question. So I just, you know, was that something that just happened or was it? So he wasn't really showing oh. signs of being abusive before you attempted to leave. Um, yeah, then. I think I, he's, he was, I'm pretty sure talking to other people who knew him and was also conned by him and all of this sort of stuff. Um, Cause he ended up conning, he was doing like this, trying to do this gym business that was not right with the papers and stuff, but he was like conning a doctor, a lawyer, a therapist, like he, wow. yeah, these, you know, these people. So he, he had this web of lies that were really intricate. Um, and talking to the therapist who, who's a friend now, um, he thinks that he was a sociopath, is a sociopath, um, mixed with other, other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I left that, but just trying to process everything that was unfolding, all the lies and, and knowing how dangerous he could be and all of this. And, um, and then three-year restraining order, which is the max that can be given at a time. Mm. Um, yeah, so after that, the healing, I think I ended up falling into relationships. Or Well, they weren't really relationships, but attracted to men that somewhat dis- reminded me of him, mm. uh, subconsciously trying to fix it, yeah. like fix the past. Yeah. So I, I attracted men who had qualities of anger, who were narcissists. Um, and so it wasn't really until maybe this year I've like stopped dating altogether and completely focusing on myself because I want to heal so that whoever I track next and whoever's my next partner, that I can be the best I can be mm-hmm. and also that it's a good match you know and not a not a codependent narcissist because I I can't I would consider myself an empath um 
and so I'm overly empathetic. I feel for people. And my ex had lied about terminal cancer. He had lied about like big things. Um, I've had that too. And the first abusive relationship I had was based on on them, yeah, um, lying about having terminal cancer. So of course oh I, goodness. I'm also I'm an empath. I'm actually a trained empath therapist now as well, and so I. Wow would open up you know when when someone comes to you who you're starting to have feelings for says to you you know I've only got three or six months to live then you just open up your wallet and you start you know doing everything you can to have a great life and I wasn't in a great job then I didn't have a lot of money and um, I just did everything that I could to make that experience you know and then three months goes by and you're like this is weird you're not really getting any sicker Okay, so at this point in our conversation, Olivia and I actually went off brief a little bit (laughs) and I am a self-confessed talkaholic Um, and I did sort of start to share my story with her because it was relating so much to her story, but it's not really the way in which I would like to share my story with you, the audience. So I did um, cut out a little bit of this. It is something that we'll come back to if you're interested, (laughs) Um, but... I kind of tried to pick this uh, back up at a point where we came back onto topic a little. It may seem a little messy. I apologize, but, um, you know, got to work with these things. <laughs> I was reading about sociopathy. That's the path I went down because. Well, that's very similar. It's and... all about them, right? It's similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar. And it scared me to hear that there's one in 25 people are sociopaths. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a yeah. yeah. That <laughs> Which, if you're thinking of a classroom, there'd be probably like one person who's in it. Um, and then narcissists. I was watching. Have you heard of Red Table Talk? No. It's um, you know, Will Smith and Jada Smith. Oh yeah. Um. So they do like this Red Table Talk. They kind of it's kind of like conversations like this, but they mm-hmm. have a new guest each week. Um, and they had a therapist come in who specifically uh, does therapy for narcissists. And she said that actually it's impossible to cure narcissists. Um, it's just to manage. So and I think that's why a lot of the chats that we have is about noticing these things in people and then like making a decision to not be in it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's unfortunately not something that. And sorry, I think I started saying this, but I got off track. Now I feel like back when I was in it, I was like, "This is ridiculous." Um, but now, like years later, I feel like a sense of sadness for them because this this is their life. It was Mm. just a a small portion of my life while I was with them, but for them, it's still ongoing. Yeah. This is why mental health is so, um, you know, broad and can be so damaging for some people. Um, and I, I'm a very huge advocate for just go and seek help. Like, don't try and do mm-hmm. on your own anymore because thing it, like it can get better. It can be managed, but you have to want yeah. that. And a lot of people. I think it's also difficult to admit if. I think also when it comes to okay, if we're looking at gender. Um, women if we're looking just at breakups it's easier for women to get over men than men to get over women because in society it's taught that men need to be man up or be strong and so they tend to repress their emotions Mm -hmm. while women 
have their friends to talk to. They cry it out. They release it. Mm -hmm. They let the emotions just leave Mm -hmm. um, and they process it. And so while it hits, it tends to typically hit women harder, men, eventually it hits them hard if they, unless they continue to repress it. Mm. Um, and then it affects their next relationships and stuff like that. But um, when it comes to like seeking help for mental health, I feel like it's it's harder for men. Um, I think statistically it's the hardest for um, black men okay. because um, if you're including also um, minority, I've noticed in uh, also being Asian American and just you know, a person of color, it's harder because people of color don't feel comfortable unless they're talking to people who, um, I guess, look like them, mm-hmm. more like s- talking in a social capacity, mm-hmm. um, a more intimate space. And there's not a lot of people of color who are therapists or sure. counselors. Yeah. Um, and so there's that aspect too. And then um, when it comes to, you know, if your parents were immigrants, um, at least for, I could speak personally for me as an Asian American, I've tried to explain to my dad while he, while he is okay with me going to therapy, he's like, I don't believe in therapy. Like, you know, I don't know what therapy does, but if it works for you, go ahead. <laughs> I think there's a, hopefully a, a shift going on throughout the world around mental health. So especially this pandemic is probably showing how important mental health is. Oh yeah, it's massive highlight for it. I'm trying to find the positive in the negative. It's been disastrous, yeah. it's been heartbreaking. We've lost so many lives. Like I just get chills saying that, like it, it's devastating, but I feel my own opinion is we we had to have this. It was something that had to happen. And, you know, mm-hmm. for us to all start noticing what we're doing to our world and how we're destroying it and the changes we need to make. So um, I think that goes all the way down to in ourselves internally, the way we think and mm-hmm. feel about ourselves and the people around us. It made me want to go, what do I really want to do? What And not just be stuck in the job that's paying the rent. I know that there's heaps yeah. of people that are going through that now because I think as a recruitment um, consultant, I think the biggest thing out there at the moment is people having to leave their job because of Corona, being made to and mm. being distraught about that. And I'm like, hey, what about the fact that you never really liked that job and you were in it because exactly. perhaps the next six months, I can go and start training or doing a job that is going to make my heart sing and not have to worry about paying a mortgage. And maybe that'll lead to something else. You know, it might just open another door. And, and I think that is one of the best gifts that Corona has given us because yeah. we can all start living our life the way that it serves us. Then we're going to be better doctors, nurses, writers, journalists. We're going to be better because we want to do it rather than have to. Yeah, that's (laughs) what happened with me. I would say for coaching. Yeah. Um, I pretty much went down this soul searching, like, what's my calling? You know, like I've been working for the towards the vet path for the longest time, and while I love animals, I also love helping humans. So, what can I do during this time? Um, And I've 
how I've been seeing the pandemic and quarantine, it's given people the opportunity to really look within. And as you were saying, like, what do you really want to do? Yeah. And also, um, it has also forced people to look at their own traumas and what still what still needs to heal. Um, and, and owning your truth and what are your core values. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we then saw Black Lives Matters here in the U.S. I think what that is, um, someone had said, I forgot where it was, but they're like, um, all lives don't matter until Black Lives Matter because it's like pulling pulling them up because they're the most discriminated yeah and they're the most um yeah they're the most discriminated in the U.S. so in order to help everyone and get everyone to the same level we need to help uplift every like the ones who are not on the same level yet yeah yeah I think it goes deeper um with police brutality because it's there's race involved with that but then there's police and um I think one thing I didn't mention is, which I can share is that um, I had an interaction with the police, mm-hmm. um, which was like my first ticket, my only ever ticket really. And that was because I was rushing to my exam um, and I was like looking at flashcards and I guess I like rolled a stop sign. <laughs> and so I got pulled over but it ended up turning to the the most traumatic um, experience. And um, it was two weeks after I was raped. Oh, and yeah, I, um, so. This is the thing. People need to remember that we're all going through things. Like they would never have known that that happened to you two weeks ago, but it doesn't matter that they didn't know that. They still yeah. acted in a way in which would make you feel but I told them that's the thing so that it just makes it worse where um I so my my rape happened in New York and I flew back so there's that complication but like as I was coming back home um as the plane was taking was going up I was just crying and bawling I was like was that rape was that rape and like and then I got back talked to my trauma therapist and she was really there for me. So, so thankful for her. Um, and the day I got pulled over by the police was the first time talking to a friend. She used the word rape. Um, and again, I started questioning. I was like, that's such a big word. Like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Um, and doing more research, you know, it, it was. And so I told the police officer, I was like, can you just let me slide? Like, I've been having a really rough day talking to a friend. She used the word rape for the first time. And I'm just really mm-hmm. trying to figure out if my friend took advantage of me. And then he said, okay, now you're, you're accusing someone. So you need to step out of the vehicle. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I, I was like, do you want to talk to my trauma therapist? Do you want to read the email I sent him like obviously I didn't accuse him in the email but I was like tiptoeing around how he made me feel um he read the email and then he's like please step out of the car sit on the curb and I was just like I was crying 
because I was like, what is going on? Why do I feel like I have to defend myself? And I was just so distraught. And it was a male officer. And I was thinking it would have meant the world to me if a male officer had done me some kindness and just let me go on to my exam. Um, and so as I was crying, he was like, you need to now wait for my sergeant to come and tell your story, what you told me. And I had not, I was not ready to talk to, let alone two males, nice. what I went through. Um, and so as I was sharing it with them, the sergeant, it was a classic case of victim blaming. He was like, do you know what implied consent is? I was like, I've, I've never heard of it. I started Googling it. And I was like, I told him no. I pushed his hand away and stuff like this. And you shouldn't have been talking about this because it was just about running a stop sign, right? Yeah, but I was just so <laughs> shocked, I think. I was so emotional. I felt like I was on defense. And I didn't comprehend that police officers can lie to you. I was just, before that incident, I was so trusting in the justice system. You know, I got my bachelor's in international affairs. Like, I wanted to serve the world in some way. I don't know. So that really flipped after that incident and they were like get, trying to trap me with certain situations like oh maybe you were dressed a certain way oh, oh like if you if you drank oh. I was like oh you probably don't remember because you drank and I told him I've always remembered everything when I when I've drank like I've never drank that much and the, the younger police officer who initially stopped me said I could tell he started like he was faced away and I think he was starting to realize oh shoot she might be telling the truth and so he was trying to do me kindness and say your professor can contact me and let you slide because I told him if I don't go to this exam she said there's no excuses you get a zero and I'm trying to get to that school and um I'm like crying and the sergeant's just getting at me he was like okay so if I had a girlfriend oh. and I wanted to kiss her and she said no but I kissed her do you think that's do you think that's okay and I said I don't think that's okay and he was like and then he gave me another scenario he's like okay well what if I asked you to rob a bank would you rob a bank and I was like no and he said well if I grabbed your hand and then we went you'd be guilty right and I was like what what is going on and Obviously, I was glad that I was able to answer these questions properly. I mean, I shouldn't have said anything, but I'm glad that, like, my logic was still there and I was defending myself still. Um, but then they said, okay, now you have to wait because you don't live in this city. You live in the next city. So you have to wait for a third officer to come and explain it. And I was like, what is going on? it's the dead, dead of night, like, and the third officer, thankfully, was a woman, oh. and she's talking to them, and then I was like, do you want to read my email? She took my phone. She didn't even read it. She's like, I just wanted to ask you, were you trying to get out of a ticket? And that's when it clicked to me that they were trying to teach me a lesson, Yeah. and I was just, I drove back home, I felt so broken, even more so than the actual incident, because I was like, the justice system is really broken in the U.S. Like, they were just trying to teach me a lesson, and 
I called the National Sexual Assault Hotline a day or two afterwards, explaining what happened, because my therapist was saying, like, it doesn't sound like I've never heard a police officer, like, that sh that's not acceptable, doesn't sound right what they did. Talked to the National Sexual Assault Hotline, they said, that doesn't sound right, this is what you can do. So I reached out to the chief of both of the um, police stations and told them. And um, for the police station with the two male officers, um, I talked to the chief and he said I had one year to um, press charges on them and take them to court. Um, and he said, you know, what they did was wrong. I really apologize because they're not supposed to do that to potential um, sexual assault victims. And, um, and I told him, you know, I just, I'm in my healing. This just recently happened. And I don't think I could take this on again, you know, on top of that, I just really plead that you make sure this doesn't happen to the next person. And so I had this really sincere conversation with a chief who's a male and thankfully, you know, it, that one went well and he it really meant a lot when he said at the end I hope you know that there's still good guys out there hmm. and I hope you um heal quickly and and I I was like I really appreciate that and that was the end of it but then so on top of the rape I had to heal like what went down with whatever that was oh god yeah what a terrible story. So, I'm really sorry that you had to yeah. go through something like that. So when it came to like hearing about, you know, Black Lives Matters and all of that, I am, um, I was, I went to the protest yeah. and stuff. I want to ask you, what's the best piece of advice that you think you've given to someone who is trying to heal a trauma? What's the last little message that you can leave our listeners with? I would say... Be compassionate with yourself. Um, be patient. Don't feel like you should be healed already. Um, when it comes to healing, it can be messy. It's not a straight road. You'll take a few steps forward, and then you'll take a few steps back, a few steps forward. But it's all about knowing that eventually you'll have a brighter future. I'm just trusting in that. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I agree. Mm -hmm. Things do tend to get better if you seek some help. Thank you, Olivia. Thank you so much. You, yeah, it was a pleasure speaking with you. And I've learned so much from you, um, from our chat. It's been really, really lovely. So thank you for sharing your story with, um, with all of our listeners. And um, I hope that you will come back and talk to us um, at a later date about all your projects that you're going to be starting this year and how that all goes. But yes, thank you so much. It was really, really lovely. Um, and yeah, I'll speak to you soon. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Oh, wow. What an amazing episode. Thank you again to Olivia. That was um, absolutely heartwarming. And I hope that you all got a little bit of a takeaway, maybe something that helped you. I know that I had a few pennies dropped during Olivia's chat and I know I even was able to help her um, 
put a few things in place in her mind as well. So this is what this is all about, being able to share and um, help improve each other's lives and mental health as well. So we're not going to have Gareth's mental health moments on this episode. We're actually going to uh, have a little bit of question time. I put some questions out on the Instagram page uh, this week and lots of you got back to me. I think it's nice that even if you don't feel comfortable sharing your story on the podcast as a whole episode, that you can still have your input in a small way. So um, I did put out three or four questions and my idea today was just to pick one of those and share everyone's answers on that one question. So let's have a look what we've got. This is very ad lib, by the way. (laughs) This is not as planned as my usual chats with you guys are on the podcast um i think i'm going to just start from the beginning with my uh first question which i put out there was when or if you are suffering anxiety or depression what gets you out of bed in the morning jessica from melbourne she says her wife and kids fresh air and food i love that it's so important all of those things it's really really important One of our beautiful past guests, Julia, she has said coffee. Coffee gets her out in the morning. I'm a bit like that too, Julia. Uh, Fathima has answered saying, realizing that life is a long way to go and I can't keep living like this. That's beautiful. Anne says, "Um, knowing that I have a small meditation with Joe Dispenza. I am gathering that Anne likes to do a meditation every morning when she wakes up. What a beautiful way to start the day. Ah, yes, this special guy, Brody. Brody from Queensland. Brody is Brody says, what gets me out of bed is my routine, gym, meditation, gratitude and journaling, eating a healthy smoothie and stretching in the sun. Oh, that sounds amazing. I definitely need to take some um, tips from Brody. You can all take some tips from Brody. <laughs> Here's my nice segue because Brody is going to be our episode 10. I can't wait to share Brody's story with you. He is a um, very excitable and exciting guy who has done a 360 since I've known him this year. Uh, it hasn't even been a year yet, maybe six months that we've known each other. And um, I can tell there's a massive difference in his approach to life from when we first met to now and and I I think he's um, a formidable guy so I really look forward to sharing Brody's story with you guys very soon. If you would like to join me on the podcast please email me or go to the Instagram page and fill out the form in link a guest application. A note to those of you who have filled out one of those forms and I've not reached out to you yet I'm so sorry I just have such a backlog of episodes that I would like to get edited and posted before taking some new interviews but I still want you guys to um, fill in that form so that when I'm ready to take on new interviews you will be the first ones in line. But that's it for me today. Episode 9 is a wrap. If you're struggling today, I see you. Keep going. Tomorrow is a brand new day. Until next time, my friends, take care and don't forget to be kind to your mind.